Baffling Combustions is a production of the Institute for Publishing Arts and Station Hill Press. If you want to reach us, email bc at stationhill.org. Baffling Combustions is edited by the Catskill Poetic Action Network. We're live on WCAA and on the Pacifica Radio Network. We're available on most podcast venues. And that's all I got. Enjoy our show. Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truitt, and Sparrow as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange. So this is our second part of our look under the lid of hell and we jump right in so come with us see you then and so jesus died like in 33 or something yeah jesus had died a few decades prior but the earliest um the earliest texts in the new testament i believe historically are the letters of paul oh which, even though they're organized after the Gospels, they were written without any knowledge of the Gospels. Huh. Interestingly. Uh, it's not like Paul was versed in the um, Gospels that came out of these four, three or four, these four communities, or more. There are lots of apocryphal Gospels as well. Do they, do they contradict the Gospels, the, the letters? Um, not really, but, the, you know, the letters... The letters don't do any sort of biographical work. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't tell the story of Jesus, his life. Right. The Gospels are more hagiographies, or sacred biographies. Mm. And and what is the basis of hell in in the New Testament? Would would be the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, there is some reference to hell by Jesus that occurs in one of the Gospels. And then the um, Christian tradition, the early church, is really interested in the representation of hell in um, the book of Daniel in the mm-hmm. Jewish Bible. So th- those, are, those are the primary sources of the early imaginings of hell. Hmm. I going to say, what's, what's interesting for me is that, you know, hell as a form of, I guess, social and mind control that is the Mm. prospect or possibility of hell versus you know being part of the elect yeah being sent to hell yeah that 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 represents the beginning of suffering like you go to hell and then suffering starts and so christianity from that standpoint that view of Christianity is based on the beginning of suffering that you want to avoid. And I think it's interesting that Buddhism, as we conventionally understand it, 
is based on the end of suffering. That mm-hmm, Buddhism, mm-hmm. you know, that that this was the question that historical or Siddhartha Buddha, um, you know, chose to answer is how to end suffering. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So also, that, yeah, it is. What, what interests me as well is the presence of the various levels of hell in, um, well, I guess Vajrayana Buddhism, right? And there are uh, various hmm. levels of hell connected to the Bardo experience. Dig it. Yeah, definitely. There are right over hell realms. 49 days or 49 nights, whatever it is in the Bardo. But you can get into these levels, depending on what sort of a karma, karma you've accumulated. You can go to some pretty scary depths that are full of torment and physical pain and all sorts of disfigurements and mutilation as a way of working it out, I guess. It's almost like a purgatory. And then eventually your prana will be reborn, um, stripped maybe of some of that negative karmic accumulation, as I understand it. Hmm. Broadly speaking, for example, if in this life you were overwhelmed by greed, by acquisitiveness, avarice, um, all these kinds of things, you can reincarnate as a mosquito, hmm. is yeah, my right. understanding. Yeah. I mean, it all goes back to my thesis, like, hell now. Hell is present. Hell is is around the corner, you know, and dig down into the earth. And yeah, I read somewhere in some book about mythology that the ancient Greeks believed that hell was something like four feet under the surface of the earth, three feet. Like they they thought it was a literal place right under the earth. What is that? Hades? Not Hades. Hades, maybe right. Well, I guess that's what Just. I mean. No, I think the this is the city inside hell. I mean, that brings to mind. Oh, really? Because Hades is a great god. Hades is the... Uh, yeah, Hades uh, is the Pluto Hades is, is the... Pluto, uh, right? Isn't Pluto, Pluto the Roman the equivalent of Hades? Roman. But I think Hades right. can also be the place. Well, definitely a place. And it's very similar to the Norse goddess hell and the place hell. You know, that the... Hell is incarnates as a anthropomorphized being, and it's interesting because I do think that hell is connected to a body. I think hell is connected to our selves. Hell hmm. is connected to our experience as corporeal beings, um, a- and it's all. So a place, you know, like they're coincident. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the um, I guess the the read. Uh, that's my reading of the story of Persephone and, and and Demeter, right? Who goes, who kind of enters into a embodied blood pact with the um, god of the underworld, Hades, through these pomegranate seeds, right? And she continues to return there um, cyclically. And then return to um, Earth and her mother Demeter, and then spring comes. But it's both a place and a right. consciousness that, at the level of consciousness, Persephone. Well, b- before that moment, Persephone isn't Persephone. She's what Hori, and she uh-huh. 
she's forever transformed spiritually, psychologically by this, uh, this new reality where she descends and returns and descends and returns. And that's like a kind of bipolar life she lives. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. As I recall from reading Thoreau, she eats three pomegranate seeds and therefore that consigns her to three months in hell. Oh. I, yeah. According to Chuck Stein, it's six seeds for some reason. So maybe there's some multiple. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of these myths have multiple variants. You know, we're kind of used to the Bible, which codifies myth. But I think that the, you know, non-Mosaic traditions, uh, there's no firm, you know, scriptural unifying story. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I was I'm trying to like find out some information about Prometheus. Oh, I'm um, recently and I found like four or five different Prometheuses, whether it's Hesiod or Euripides or you know, uh, it, there's a um, there's a moment in one of the Platonic dialogues that puts forward a slightly different version of Prometheus. There's a you're right. There's a lot of variety. There's no um codification. Yeah, and I, I was doing something similar with Theseus recently, and coming up, you know, just with the most uh, superficial study, even in Wikipedia, they'll give you four or five variants. But let me just say that Hades, according to my all-purpose American Heritage Dictionary, is the god of the netherworld and dispenser of earthly riches in Greek Ooh. mythology, and this netherworld kingdom, the abode of the shades of the dead. Ooh. So these are dead people that are just kind of sitting around. And it's kind of suspended animation. We're just hanging out, really. <clears throat> and it's not a positive experience, because um, although maybe Persephone grows to like it because she falls in love with Hades, I know that um, Achilles... In Book Eleven of the Odyssey, hmm. speaks to his former companion Odysseus from the from the other side of Hades and says, "Hey, I would rather be like toiling the earth mm -hmm. than be spend a, a moment more in Hades, like hmm. a, yeah. a slave or a laborer, than 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 be Achilles here." That's that, that, so interesting, and of course, because it echoes Milton's uh, famous, you know, oh yeah, uh, Lucifer or Satan saying, "I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven." I was going to say this one thing, if I may, you know, circling back to this kind of, I guess, Christian thing. Because <laughs> so I read an article in the Times about this recent murder of eight people in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I guess six of whom were Asian American sex workers. And I came across this interesting quotation uh, from a professor at um, Skidmore College called Brad Onishi. And he grew up in an evangelical community, which I guess subsequently, you know, spent a bunch of time in college and came to renounce those beliefs. But he wrote, he writes, or, you know, in the Times, they quote him, um, the evangelical culture he was raised in, he said, quote, 
teaches women to hate their bodies as the source of temptation, and it teaches men to hate their minds, which lead them into lust and sexual immorality. And I just thought that was, that was interesting in terms of these prescriptions being ways of avoiding going to evangelical hell. What do you mean? Well, in other words, you know, if women can maintain their hatred of their bodies and therefore are able to not become a, a source of temptation, and if men are able to sufficiently hate their mind stream or the thoughts that involuntarily arise in their minds, which may be purient or uh, scatological, etc., which leads <laughs> them into lust and sexual immortality, guaranteed immorality. to send you right to hell. Oh, immorality. Guaranteed to send you right to hell. So I thought that was interesting in terms of sort of this idea of, you know, this, you know, false locational guidance and this idea of heaven and hell and this idea of the, you know, futurity and the beginning of suffering or the beginning of, I don't know, if you go to heaven, it's the beginning of what? We've been here before of Adoration. studying, mm -hmm. of looking at the gambles of those who are tormented in hell or the foibles of human life. I was also thinking, though, Sparrow, because you talked about um, heaven, you know, in those aspects. I was thinking also, like, heaven is where you go. And one of the pleasures of heaven, I think, is you find out all the secrets, all the <laughs> stuff that's going on around us that we don't really know, you know, what's really happening, blah, blah, blah. In heaven, you get like the whole readout. Nothing ah, is hidden. Because you're looking down from above, you can see everything, right? Well, I mean, it's where you go and you find out, um, you know, who actually, um, you know, you find out who uh president kennedy like you find out oh yeah this is the way it was or you know all this <laughs> historical events there seems sort of ambiguous we don't really know what went down um in heaven you can you know get the goods it's not my i never heard that about heaven that's not my image of heaven i must say i know being, i just uh, came up with it i just came up with it sounds I a little bit a like the internet uh, ah. where all uh, information, maybe the internet is heaven and the and it, power outage is hell. Well, I was thinking about the, it's funny that you bring up the internet as heaven, because I was thinking about the internet as hell, <laughs> because my mom was telling me about a friend of hers who got pulled into the QNAM stuff. Oh, yeah. Online, in d deep into sort of some dark web territory. And it, huh. according to my mother, it's it's fundamentally changed her. Huh. Hmm. That she's, she's she's gone through some dark conversion to a real kind of pro-Trump. Huh. She's a Quaker too, which is the. Huh. <laughs> the yeah, I saw some woman, some very blonde woman on the internet talking about her son, her like teenage son. She walks. Did I ever tell this story? He walk, she walks into his bedroom. And he's got a poster of Hitler on the uh, on the wall. She says to him, "What are you doing with the poster of Hitler?" And she's saying, "And he says, 
well, I'm very interested in history, you know. And he's uh, he's been sucked into the fascist web. You know, the the in, the internet of hell has turned him quietly into a fascist. And then she's started some organization, you know, save the children in alerting all parents to watch over their kids' shoulders while they're going online to make sure that they don't become Nazis. Well, there's Mm. more and more literature out there about on this very phenomenon. Yeah. And it's the new way that everything is moving. Al-Qaeda, they they have the, it's a kind of a brilliant technique that I think Trump was very reliant on. Yes. That that, uh, you radicalize people, you just send out this information that can be very compelling. You pull people in, uh, and then you can have complete denial. It's like Al Qaeda says, "We don't know these people. We have we're not responsible for somebody who just grabbed a bunch of uh, submachine guns and started shooting up a shopping mall. We didn't tell them to do that. So everything has become." kind of decentralized or, uh, you know, kind of, it's a self-created fascist network rather True. than a, directed from above. Yeah, it catastrophizes from digital consciousness to digital consciousness. Yeah, it's a decentralized, and supposedly that, that march that they had in uh, Charlottesville where somebody killed Heather Heyer, I remember her name, I memorized her name, the the martyr who was killed by this, you know, deluded uh, fascist uh, who's driving his car into a crowd. These people they had never met before. These these fascists marching in Charlottesville, they they were just a web community. Somebody said, "Get some torches." So somebody went online and got a bunch of tiki torches, which is completely the wrong kind of torch. But everything was kind of a it was kind of a, a internet phenomenon that manifested in in the real world, kind of unexpectedly, and and come to think of it, had kind of a hellish uh, vibe, you know. That's, People marching yeah. down the street, yeah. holding torches, shouting, uh, "Jews will not replace us." I mean, it was almost something that had happened, like a spontaneous demonstration in the city of Dis, <laughs> and they formed. Mm-hmm. Into some diabolical, diabolical circle at the end. Oh, did they mm. actually form a literal circle? They did around a, a Confederate war statue that was slated to be um, dismantled. Maybe right, that was. Yeah, right. that was what the whole thing was about: was to save that statue. Maybe it was Robert E. Lee, or perhaps it was uh, Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I forget, too. Yeah, it's interesting that there is a kind of, yeah, maybe that is, maybe that is hell being uh, trapped in a, I think there's a scene in Brother Where Art Thou where some guys are sort of infiltrating a Ku Klux Klan rally and they're wearing hoods so nobody can tell who they are. Maybe they're black. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, Maybe it's my uh, white privilege that has kept me from seeing this, but it really did have a Klan-like quality to it the charlottesville midnight protest didn't it with the uh, torches and oh yeah i mean oh, people yeah, said definitely and so i think some people were costume. wearing hoods there were people yeah there were clansmen there sure very just, yeah very haunting oh. i mean the one thing i wanted to kind of pick up on is i believe that people and i believe 
myself, when I plant myself down in front of the computer screen, um, I do feel as though I'm planting myself down in front of something that is somewhat godlike, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I can understand how when people get onto the internet and then this thing that I've attributed to a kind of godlike power, that I would tend to believe it, you know, that I would tend to, that, that feeling that I have when I sit down and um, interact with, you know, become a computer in front of my computer, <laughs> that you know, I tend to sort of, there's an acquiescence. And also um, it's very intimate. To a certain extent of that position. Yeah. Of that position of, oh yeah, you know, all I perceive is my body. And then, you know, inside of that is all of this computer lore, you know? The whole world and, in a way. The Taj Mahal, yeah. anything you want is in, can enter you through this sacred uh, magic mirror. This, you know, what J.R. Tolkien called the seeing stones, right? Mm. In the world of Tolkien, the seeing stones. I mean, it started to happen to me. I started to become radicalized into fascism uh, very slightly. I was, because I spent, you know, a pretty embarrassing amount of time on YouTube. And I looked up something, some name that I found on a piece of paper, and it led me to this video that was kind of ridiculing. It was, it was this guy with a monotonous voice. He was the narrator. And there was, uh, it was about a, a, a guy who runs a series of fitness centers who's really a self-satisfied idiot. And the, the narrator was saying, look at this guy. He thinks he's so cool. You know, something like that. And then the, there's a series of these videos and, and the, the guy, the narrator, has this kind of brazen humor, like, she's pretty fat, isn't she? And he says what's on his mind. He says what you're not allowed to say anymore. You know, mm. he's, he breaks through these kind of walls of political correctness. But, you know, it's really hard to tell what his story is. Is he like a kind of hip comedian? And then gradually, like by the third video, I realized, oh, this is sucking me down into the web of white Aryan nation, you know, like it, it starts as this kind of a, I don't know, slightly sadistic stand-up comedy and spirals down out of control. Yeah, it's interesting. This has come up before, by the way, Sparrow, as the historian of baffling combustions. Oh, I've talked You've about brought this him up before. before and I, yeah, and in that light, it had to do this fascist flirtation that you went through with direct speech that you felt, oh, this person is using, you know, you felt a kind of nostalgia for the mm. way in which he used language uh, unadorned with the kind of the corrective measures of political awareness, or as Andrew would say, wokeness. Yeah, with a freedom, a kind mm. of a, a, that feeling of freedom that somehow can lead you down the alley into uh, mm. worshiping Hitler. Well, I know that I was doing a little research on black metal, black heavy metal. In oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Norway. Because I was teaching... Death metal? Black metal. Death, yeah, death, like that stylized death metal 
mm. that draws on Norse uh, mythology or its iconography mm. and some of its um, lyrical component. It was big in Scandinavia. It, it was I'm forgetting the names of the bands, but they're I, yeah, it, I've looked it up too. And some of them are murderers. They kill people and burn yeah. down these beautiful old wooden churches that have been around for 600 years. Right. These old Lutheran churches were raised, were burnt to um, a crisp in the 90s. There's all sorts of weirdness. Kind of a neo-paganism is connected exactly. to it. And I was teaching this course on um, cults and new religions, and I had a unit on Wicca and neo-paganism. So I started learning about the black metal. Online and listening to stuff and listening to interviews and there are a few documentaries. Um, one called "Before the Light Will Take Us," which is, uh, I think, based upon a book that um, is pretty central in that world. And um, I just was quickly pulled in, not as a believer, but the algorithm beneath it all got me into like stuff on ethno nationalism. Mm. Then. Um, there was some white supremacy stuff, some Pizza Gate stuff, some QAnon thing. <laughs> like I could see how it could happen, and yeah. I pulled out. But um, more and more is coming out about these wormholes into hell, into, <laughs> into a and, hell. And, and metal is cool. I mean, you know, it's not it, it's not precisely fascist as an art form as an oh, aesthetic it's a variety it's pretty interesting you know yeah. it's pretty good as art it's actually. pretty good a lot of it tries to capture <clears throat> folk traditions mm. um nordic rhythmic traditions that aren't so well known yeah there's a lot of really interesting stuff that happens in it but it's also it can also it also has a kind of a darker, much more xenophobic, ethno nationalist branch as well. And I think mm. it's important that we're discussing about this because I think you know there are a lot of um, pathways into hell, a lot of pathways into understanding hell, like as Sam mm-hmm. was talking about as a kind of personal experience, the experience of whatever you want to call it, alienation, loneliness. Whatever is your deepest heartbreak, I guess I was going to say, you know, my fears are are cold, physical cold and rejection. But however you you want to say it. And then there's another way of kind of political dimension of hell that makes you. I don't know if I ever talked about this one time. I gave a talk at Haverford College and I I got this little suite, you know, the some like cool kids at this college asked for me to give a reading and a talk, which I did, and then they put me up in the kind of fancy suite that they put up, you know, visiting celebrities. And I got this intuition I should turn on the TV. And it was, and I never watched TV. And and it was the State of the Union message where George W. Bush was explaining why we had to invade Iraq. And I could feel coming out of the screen these, like, rays that would kill a plant, you know, just like rays of destruction and, and evil, I thought, you know. And mm. then I turned, well, then, then there was a show of Carlos Santana discussing how the, some angel, uh, that was like the next, maybe I turned the channel and there was Carlos Santana talking about how some angel led to his, uh, you know, revival of his career. But anyways, you know, like a balance of good and evil. But, you know, I started to think maybe there really is evil. Maybe there really is a hell. You know, maybe George W. Bush is like 
kind of, uh, what's the word, a, another, uh, you know, uh, wormhole down into hell. That's there's right. different ways of thinking, you know, completely outmoded concept, like a concept that should have ended in 1902. But when you start yeah. talking about your experience of evil, you know, you, you find yourself back into some kind of concept of it. I, think, uh, I was just going to say, I, I think that there are many, if not an infinite number of anti-chambers <laughs> of hell that exist <laughs> on Earth. Mm. And as you experienced, Sparrow, like you opened one of the doors, like mm. the State of the Union speech from Bush announcing that we were going to rain down, what, what was it called? Something in awe, shock and awe. Uh, yeah. Unleash the shock and awe on Iraq. Well, you know, that's a, that's a little chamber of hell that, you know, that we visited on that mm. country. For example, <clears throat> that's part of the reason it gets me so to see George W. Bush um, re-remembered as some sort of moderate. Yeah. You know, and I mean, on some level, I say this with a grain of salt, but on some level, he's responsible for more death. Yeah. Globally than Trump. Who got us out a lot. Not that I, I despise Trump. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. I also despise the neocons and um, George W. Bush. But what I was going to say is I'm just struck by um, that old blues saw, the devil never shows up wearing in his own set of clothes. Oh, yeah. How uh, you don't <clears throat> anti-chambers, to use Sam's language, mm. doors. You don't know where these wormholes are necessarily. It's not clear. Mm. Until it's too late. <laughs> Until it's, it's like young, it's Nathaniel Hawthorne, Hawthorne's young Goodman Brown, right? Oh, yeah, I just read that. It's just a lot of ambiguity as to, like, who you can trust and who you can't and which way is up or which way is down or is it night, is it day, am I dreaming, is this real? Um, the, the I think the path to hell is often not one that has, like, a direct sort of line, but you kind mm-hmm. of stumble into, get lost in, like a labyrinth. There's something labyrinthian about it. And that's mm-hmm. the beginning of... Uh... Dante's uh, and it's also tied up in the up middle with, of life. I lost my way. Exactly. Yeah, at the beginning of the uh, the inferno. Yeah, and and I guess hell is also tied up with fundamentalism, mm. which is I mean, I have really had the thought. scourge of our near term reality. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, mean, I don't know if I've ever said this in our group, but I think that these Christians are satanic. I mean, I think they are responsible. They they are creating satanism because they believe in they believe in satan so much they make him real there is no mm. satan there's no evil but these these crazy religious people who repress their own desires and and sort of represent it as this mythical being they make him real and, and therefore they've created satan they're satan creators i mean they're mm-hmm. not christians they're i don't know what a christian would be but you know like Reminds me of William Blake, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. We've gone full circle. Yeah. Yeah. I sense that we, at this point as a species, can just see past the edge of that which we're talking about. Hmm. See just past the edge of hell and and all of the garbage that goes along with it. That we are approaching 
you know, this kind of Blakean marriage of heaven and hell, hmm. um, you know, as Blake articulates it. But I'm just, if there's enough time, you know, before the earth implodes, you know, before this wave of civilization, you know, gets scissored up fragments and we, you know, this wave, um, you know, leaves us in some, you know, um, I don't know, some sort of uh, anarchic, fragmentary way. Because I do think that, you know, that our Earth is changing so rapidly under the way in which human beings have pursued our relationship with it for, you know, these past couple centuries. Um, And certainly since Titusville, I guess that's 1876. And that I just hope that, you know, that we will be in time to really wake up I mean, it's one aspect of global warming that nobody discusses, that we are turning the earth into hell <laughs> in a literal sense. You know, the, the yeah. fires burning yeah. out of control, this unbelievable heat that is unendurable. Uh, and the uh, mm-hmm. images of just fossil fuels burning, you know, oil wells and fracking. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. Any of this infernal... Uh, Digging into the ground, digging down into the hell realms, pulling up this demonic uh, liquid that will destroy us, that we're addicted to, this uh, the oil and the gas. It, it is a kind of uh, demonic, satanic uh, vision. Also, yeah. New Jersey, if you've ever been I, in New Jersey, past all those oil refineries, they're very uh, hell-like. Yeah, and also, like, going back to that uh, the movie The Graduate and Bancroft, Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman is having a conversation with the husband of, what's her name again? Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, he's talking to Mr. Robertson and asking his advice about what he should do. And what does Mr. Robinson say? Plastics. Plastics. Yeah, I, th- I think he's not asking advice. He's at some, kind of, some sort of uncomfortable pool party, and some guy just comes up to him out of nowhere and says, I'm telling you what to do. He Plastic. just graduated college. I've got a word for you. Plastic. I thought he was talking to Mr. Robinson. No, Sorry. Remember. I think it was his uncle who's talking, who says that. Uncle something. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it as a very Jewish uh, idea, actually. You know, like, here's a way to make a fast buck. <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed mm. to say this, I hope, as a half-Jew. <laughs> yeah, I remember is... in Mexico asking some cat I met at a bar, oh, well, you know, here I am, I, you know, what should I do? You know, what do you see as the really growth industry? You know, I was pretending to be like a, you know, Shamil. And he said, well, I guess if I had to think about it, I'd say trash. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he may have been onto something. <laughs> That's a yeah. great word. That's a great line. It reminds me, there was some guy I worked with like in the 70s, and he said, uh, and maybe we both got fired from the same job at the same time. I can't remember the details, but he said, I'm just going to go look for copper. Because at that time, you could find lots of copper in kind of uh, abandoned buildings strip it out, sell it for a lot of money, and you could just live off of it, according to this guy. Anyway, That's what the uh, the Roma, the ethnic gypsies do in Transylvania. 
Is that right? They yeah. go after copper? Yeah, a lot, and they have stream beds. They they excavate stream beds and shallow rivers for um, sources of copper, kind of machinery that's been dumped, metal that's been dumped, that where they can find copper batteries. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. Which is a really the Lord's work to uh, to recycle. I think you know recycling is heaven. Waste, you know, industrial civilization is hell. Recycling is heaven. That you can quote me on that. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous. And please join us next time and remember to stay tuned and strange.